This message comes from NPR sponsor, Progressive, and it's Name Your Price Tool. Say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show coverage options within your budget. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. As you know by now, Tucker Carlson is out at Fox News. In a statement on Monday, the network said they're parting ways with their biggest star. Before he was fired, Tucker Carlson Tonight was one of the most watched shows on cable news, and he had a very particular way of getting his message across. They care more about identity politics than they care about your life. They care more about preventing a border wall than they do about raising the wages of American workers. They care more about putting Roger Stone in prison than about punishing looters and arsonists. They care far more about foreigners than about their own people. They seem to care more about Venezuela than they care about this country. They care about Afghans far more than they care about you. They don't care about you, and they're saying that as clearly as they possibly can. They don't care about your kids, and they really don't care about your grandkids. For more than six years on his primetime program, he railed against immigration, the Black Lives Matter movement, and political correctness. More recently, he promoted false claims about the COVID-19 pandemic, the result of the 2020 election, and he peddled the racist replacement conspiracy, a white supremacist belief that non-white people are being ushered into the U.S. to replace white voters. His influence didn't just reach voters, it reached lawmakers too. What does Tucker Carlson's departure mean for the future of conservative media and the Republican Party? We'll answer all those questions and more after the break. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We'll be back after this short break. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Integrative Therapeutics, with vitamins and supplements previously available only through practitioners, including Cortisol Manager. Unlock your best self with clinician-curated supplements from Integrative Therapeutics, now on Amazon. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit com slash NPR and save an additional $200. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts. Let's jump into the conversation. Joining us from Philadelphia is Brian Rosenwald. He's the author of Talk Radio's America, How an Industry Took Over a Political Party That Took Over the United States. He's also a researcher at the University of Pennsylvania. Welcome back to the show. My pleasure to be with you. Also with us is David Folkenflick. He's the media reporter at NPR. Hi, David. Hey there, Jen. And Nicole Hammer is an associate professor at Vanderbilt University. She's also the author of Messengers of the Right, Conservative Media and the Transformation of American Politics. Nicole, it's great to have you back. Great to be here, Jen. So, David, what do we know about why Tucker Carlson was let go? This is the million-dollar question, right? Uh, or in Tucker's case, probably tens of millions of dollars question. What my reporting has reflected is that there are – if you think about the huge Dominion defamation suit against Fox News uh, that was settled uh, eight days ago for th- over three-quarters of a billion dollars, in which Tucker featured prominently, perhaps not – 
most prominently, there were a lot of revelations that are gathered up as what's called the discovery part of, of the case, where you just scoop up all the information you can from the other party. And this involved over a million documents from Fox News obtained by Dominion Voting Systems lawyers. In those documents were things that are not really directly about whether or not Fox or Tucker Carlson defamed Dominion over bogus claims of fraud in the 2020 presidential elections, but about how he talked, how he comported himself, how he uh, thought about executives and colleagues. Uh, And this matters because Carlson is now at the center of related but separate litigation, two lawsuits filed by his former chief booking producer, that is somebody who invites guests on the show, uh, who claims that his workplace was rife with sexism and bigotry uh, and uh, just just incredibly misogynistic saturated workplace, and that that tone was set by Tucker Carlson and his then-executive producer, Justin Wells, and that the revelations obtained by not just Dominion's lawyers, but Fox's lawyers in that Dominion case really seem to amplify and help propel that argument. And they're very fearful about what will come out both publicly, but also part of uh, in the Grossberg litigation. We got this email from Gary who asks, with Tucker Carlson, his non-truthful reporting on air and combative behavior behind the scenes had been known and written about for quite a while. Why do you think it took so long for Fox to fire him? I mean, my feeling is that litigation tends to sharpen the mind and that there are things that you can't sidestep. You can do it for a while, uh, you know, my real theory, to be honest, is that it, there's also a uh, – not to be too much of a, a, a spoiler alert for old movies and books, but if you think of the m- movie and Agatha Christie mystery, Murder on the Orient Express, it turns out that every suspect participated in the murder of the deceased. And in this case, I think the litigation focused real attention to Tucker's – Carlson's behavior, but also that he had both put himself out as larger than the network, being contemptuous of his the executives running it. Uh, he had really refined, I think, and we can talk about this this hour with our other guests as well, but sort of in some ways the most extremist voice and face of Fox, but he was also its top uh, personality. And so the top personality of Fox is also in some ways its most extreme, the one uh, who's making the most racist and xenophobic claims on the air, the one who's pushing sort of a consistently, uh, many would argue, misogynistic uh, uh, line on the air and who's wrapping uh, the mantle of Fox's credibility around one conspiracy theory after another, particularly most recently and perhaps most noxiously, the idea that the January 6th uh, bloody siege of the U.S. Congress was, A, not particularly violent or meaningful, and B, uh, a false flag operation instigated by both the FBI and counterintuitively Antifa, but doing everything he could to exonerate those uh, former supporters, uh, excuse me, those supporters of former President Donald Trump, who turned violent on that day of an important ceremonial action to certify the election of Joe Biden. And so all of this combined to mean that advertisers peeled away, even as he remained the most popular individual figure on Fox. Nicole, what sort of reaction have we seen from Republicans and conservatives? Well, particularly among conservatives, many of them see this as a real opportunity to take Fox News down a peg. If you tune in to Glenn Beck, uh, a former Fox News host, or Megyn Kelly, a former Fox News host, or Bill O'Reilly, a former Fox News host, all of them have been talking about how this shows that Fox isn't really on the side of conservatives, that Fox is 
trying to moderate, that it is trying to be more centrist, and that it doesn't really like its own viewers. Um, You also see this on Newsmax, um, which is a conservative uh, cable news channel, much smaller than Fox News, but which has been trying to peel away Fox News viewers for quite some time now and successfully did so after Fox uh, called the 2020 presidential election for Joe Biden. Um, Newsmax has seen its numbers spike a little bit in the last few days in that eight o'clock Eastern hour where Tucker Carlson is normally on air at Fox. And they too are making the argument, look, Fox News doesn't care about you, the base of the Republican Party. We do. And this is just more evidence of a kind of betrayal by Fox News and by corporate media uh, writ large. And so you should be looking at other options at this point. Let's go to our voicemail box. We got this message from Jess in Massachusetts. Both me and my partner are LGBTQ. Um, his family, especially, are big Fox fans. And shows like Tucker Carlson's have definitely caused division and arguments in his family. So there's part of us that is relieved that Tucker's and Tucker's show is quote-unquote over and what that goes is um, toxic rhetoric. Fox will likely be hosting someone new and chances are it's going to be someone younger it could be someone a lot more toxic than tucker and that does concern me a little bit brian what made tucker carlson and his show so unique particularly compared to other conservative media figures he pushed the boundaries both in the direction of kind of white nationalism and in lying, you know, the, there's always been a conspiratorial element of conservative media. There's always been a, an attraction to conspiracy theories. But he took it to kind of a bigger level, especially around the COVID vaccine, especially around 1-6. It seemed like he kind of pushed the boundaries even further than the really, really, really far right boundaries that had already existed. And that was a little bit different and it was a little bit more overt. And I think that that kind of captured a lot of attention. Let's go back to our voicemail box. Here's Mark in Alabama. I don't think it really matters what Tucker Carlson and the rest of the conservative leaning media do. Uh, I think they're going to do what they're going to do. And I think we have to realize that a lot of it is market driven. They're putting out a product for people, a specific type of consumer. Now, Nicole, before his primetime show, Tucker Carlson was a host and political commentator on CNN and MSNBC. Just briefly tell us a bit about his career trajectory. So Tucker Carlson started off as a kind of conservative political journalist. He worked at the Weekly Standard. He freelanced for a number of major national newspapers. And then he moved into cable news. Uh, He was hired by CNN to appear on Crossfire, which was that left-right fighting show that had first debuted in the early 1980s. Um, He was on there for about four years, uh, eventually washed out, and then ended up at MSNBC, where he he had a show called Tucker. Um, But then he was let go from MSNBC as well. He was never much of a a ratings draw on either network. Then he got picked up by Fox News, and he bounced around in different places at the network for a while. Prior to his primetime show, he was actually the weekend host of Fox & Friends, which is the morning show, and which is a much lighter, much goofier kind of role than what he would ultimately take on. It was it was hard, I think, to imagine the Tucker Carlson of primetime, given the earlier roles that he had held, but also just the, the role he had held um, at Fox News on this morning show. Now, Brian, your book, Talk Radio's America, is about the impact of conservative media figures like Rush Limbaugh and Bill O'Reilly. How does Tucker Carlson fit into that legacy? 
I think in, in a lot of ways he has become the biggest player in this uh, in this constellation since Limbaugh passed away in 2021. He is the guy that every Republican office um, on Capitol Hill has to know what he's saying on a given day. Let's go to our voicemail box. We got this message from Ben in Highland Park. Fox News made this decision for business reasons, not for the public good or for a change of policy or for its direction of its programming towards the extreme right. Um, It is not a news organization. It is a propaganda platform and will continue to be so. We'll be back with more from you and our guests after this break. Stay with us. On this week's Wild Card, we talk with Issa Rae about those moments where our lives could have gone another direction. Definitely wasn't supposed to be with that guy at all. At all. But I still think about it. I'm Rachel Martin. Issa Rae tells us how to make peace with the path not taken. That's on the Wild Card podcast from NPR, the game where cards control the conversation. The NPR app cuts through the noise, bringing you local, national, and global coverage. No paywalls, no profits, no nonsense. Download it in your app store today. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. We're discussing the departure of Fox News' Tucker Carlson and the landscape of conservative media. Now, the New York Times analyzed 1,150 episodes of Tucker Carlson's program, and they highlighted Carlson's use of them versus us framing, with the them in question being his idea of an elite ruling class. In those 1,150 episodes that the Times analyzed, Carlson invoked the ruling class in 800 episodes. Brian, what was the reasoning behind that? This is conservative media. Conservative media is basically a soap opera. It's heroes against villains. The villains are are the elites, and that is the mainstream media, that's universities, that is Hollywood. It's everyone who they who conservatives see as kind of looking down on them and scorning. And the heroes, of course, are conservative guests and the hosts. And so this is this us versus them frame is what people are tuning in for. They want to see their side win. They want to see their views and their values valorized on a nightly basis. And that's what Carlson gave them. We got this email from Jan who says, I've always wondered if Tucker Carlson really believes the toxic rhetoric he spews or if that is a role he plays very well. Brian, any thoughts? I think that it was somewhat of a role. I mean, remember earlier in his career, he was a neoconservative kind of preppy guy. Then, as Nikki said, he was, you know, kind of doing a lighter role on Fox and Friends. He was, he's been a chameleon in a lot of ways. He's someone who has had a very good finger on the pulse of where conservatives are and has kind of moved with them and fit in. So I think that some of this was a performance art. I don't know how much of it was exactly what he believes or doesn't believe, but it was definitely a performance art element and he's definitely changed over time. 
Now, in more than 400 episodes analyzed in that New York Times report, Carlson brought up the idea that Democratic politicians and others are using immigration to change demographics in the U.S. Nicole, as a historian, how do you think about the way that Carlson's rhetoric reflects the same rhetoric used by white nationalists? We know that there is both a parallel in rhetoric. This is the kind of great replacement conspiracy theory that has been popularized since the 1990s. People like Peter Brimlow, who runs the white nationalist site VDARE, wrote a book in 1995 called Alien Nation that popularized this theory. He had previously written for National Review, the same set of ideas in 1992. So the ideas have been around for a while We also know that there is a personnel connection with this. Um, Tucker Carlson's head writer, Blake Neff, um, was eventually fired from the show because of postings that he made, um, racist postings that he made on um, far-right websites. And so... You know, it is not a coincidence that Tucker Carlson has made these claims. It is a a key part of his appeal and a key part of his show is to take these ideas that have often been seen as fringe um, or not acceptable in the mainstream and to put them on one of the top three, actually the top uh, most popular cable news uh, channel in America. Susan emails, to what extent did Donald Trump make Tucker Carlson preeminent or did it start the other way around? David? Well, you got to remember that Tucker Carlson sort of slipped into this uh, eminent role at Fox News back in 2017 after Bill O'Reilly had been caught up in his own sexual harassment scandal. And let's be clear, that was in the context of a series of sexual uh, harassment scandals roiling Fox News since uh, accusations were first levied against then Fox News chairman Roger Ailes. So he comes in at, at a time when Donald Trump is already in office. But having, you know, had, as as we've discussed, previously essentially failed at efforts at CNN and MSNBC and, for that matter, PBS uh, in TV, uh, in leading TV shows, he'd been in a careful student of the game of what was wanted on Fox. And so he didn't He's a little more interesting than your average figure. He's not your classic partisan of Sean Hannity. Uh, he was not the most adamantly pro-Trump figure on Fox by a long shot. What he was was in some ways the most vicious uh, policeman of anti-Trump sentiment and anti-Trump criticism. So he was the leader of the anti-anti-Trump brigade, if you will. And so he would go out and lash out at the you know, using the kind of rhetoric that, rhetoric that you so uh, smartly highlighted here, you know, the idea that elites are out to criticize Donald Trump, not that it's possible that critics of Donald Trump are pointing the fact that he's trampling over not only norms, but at times laws, even constitutional protections and hallowed principles uh, that have undergirded the way the nation has operated. Uh, and so that's what made him effective. He captured a way in which to uh, get the very voraciously pro-Trump Fox audience to embrace him, not by m- mimicking or parroting everything Trump said, by la- but by lashing out at all of Trump's critics. It's sort of a an inversion of the usual uh, uh, way that people think about Fox. But the formula works in that, in some ways, Fox works best when it's on the attack rather than on the defense. Well, a 2021 Pew Research uh, survey on partisan divide when it comes to trust in media showed that 35 percent of Republican voters say they have some or a lot of trust in national media compared to 78 percent of Democratic voters. And I'm curious to hear from you, Nicole, first. How do you think public trust in the media plays into this conversation? 
it's a huge part of this conversation because it's a huge part of Fox News's existence. Um, conserv- the conservative movement since the 1940s and 1950s has been making the case that non-conservative media are not trustworthy, that they are biased toward liberalism, and that conservatives should be out there looking for conservative sources of news information and opinion. And Fox News was created in many ways to fill that slot in national cable news to provide conservative opinion and commentary and news on a national level. Um, So that distrust in media institutions is actually a key part of the appeal of something like Fox News and and the broader uh, conservative media landscape. Um, So as long as that distrust is high, then a channel like Fox News has a reason to exist. Brian, your thoughts? Yeah, I agree completely with that. That this is a huge cornerstone of the the narrative that people hear on conservative media over and over and over again, which is the mainstream media is biased. Mainstream journalists don't like you. They're they're giving you uh, part of the story, or they're giving you a very distorted story. They're defending Democrats. And essentially what they want to do is build it up so that you must tune in every night. You feel like the only place you're going to get the the stuff that you need to know every day is on those airwaves. And talk radio did that. Fox News does that. And it kind of traps people in an echo chamber and helps explain why we've gotten to the point where liberals and conservatives kind of almost live in a, in different worlds. They can't even agree on the basic facts to then argue about them. And it, it's a real toxic thing for democracy. We got this email from Sue who says, I find it ironic that Fox News and Tucker talk about the mainstream media. Aren't they mainstream? With so many followers, it would seem to me they are. David, your thoughts? Oh, it's it's been, you know, what can I say? You know, founded on a lie at the start. The idea that Fox News was outside the mainstream media while being owned by one of the largest media companies in the country, even in some ways most influential in the world, um, is laughable. The, the, the slogan at the outset, since abandoned, uh, fair and balanced, was an intrinsic promise. But you know, the, theoretically, that's promised by pretty much every news organization in the country. So why did it matter that Fox was saying that? Because it was saying that everybody else was unfair and unbalanced. And that was laced into pretty much every broadcast they had, both on the news side and on the opinion side, for, for many, many years. The idea that uh, part of what they're serving up is, uh, you know, evidence marshaled, material marshaled to present as though it's evidence that the rest of the media is willfully lying to you. And what's amazing is that behind the scenes, you know, Fox executives and Fox journalists and and opinion hosts, and mostly the opinion hosts, but, you know, producers and others there uh, were absolutely doing the things that they claimed publicly the other media was doing. And that is acting disingenuously, presenting things they know to be untrue to the public. And I got to tell you, that is not my experience in working more than three decades in, in, in media. People are fallible and screw up and make mistakes and may bring their own point of view to things in ways that they don't fully acknowledge or understand. But what they're not doing is trying to find ways to present things they know are, are, are lies or untrue or unfair to the public. But Fox folks behind the scenes, as we learned in the Dominion case and as reporting uh, by NPR and others have said over the years and decades at Fox News, that was part of the formula. And so the idea that they're fair and balanced is a, a, an intended uh, sleight of hand to to, to make sure that every element of what they were presenting the public was also a punch at uh, the rest of the media. And in response to our listener, 
absolutely they're part of the mainstream media, but they are uh, they operate under different rules. Now, Tucker Carlson's show was political commentary. It it was not reporting, but it was many people's go-to source for news. Brian, where does media literacy fit into this? This is a huge problem, which is that conservative media is essentially a conservative entertainment platform. It exists for one reason. That is to draw the biggest possible audience for the longest possible time and to make money. And the problem is that the hosts then stoke this idea of like, you're going to hear exclusive things here that you don't hear anywhere else. You must tune in tonight. You know, Hannity's always done radio. Sean Hannity has always done radio and then television. It'll be like, you've got to tune in tonight. We've got this exclusive or we've got, you know, this person who you won't hear anywhere else. And so people see it as a news source. They don't see it as a conservative entertainment product that is going that, that you know, they're, they're tuning in for for more uh, kind of emotional content and, and to have their views valorized, they hear it as, okay, this is a news source. And so you have this, this situation where they're getting things that are not vetted and, and are not fact-checked and are, are flat out false in a lot of cases. And they're treating that like it is, you know, actual hard news, fact-based reporting. And that that's bad. In 2021, Texas Governor Greg Abbott came under fire for the influence Tucker Carlson seemed to have on his decisions as a lawmaker. That year, Carlson criticized Abbott on his show for not doing more to secure the southern border. Two months later, Abbott sent 10,000 National Guard troops to the border. Here he is on Carlson's program. You're the governor. Why don't you just say any person with military and law enforcement experience can join up. We are starting our own force. It's volunteer or just go to Midland, Dallas and Houston and get your donors to fund it. They would. I'd send you money. Everyone send you money. And we're going to stop this on behalf of the state of Texas and the United States. Uh, Tucker, actually, we, we onboard uh, new members every single month. We, we do go through both that recruiting process as well as people signing up. They onboard. They go through the training process. They get ready for deployment. And then we deploy them. So we are constantly involved. Uh, in adding to uh, those who can serve us on the border. Well, Carlson suggested creating a volunteer army to patrol the southern border. And while Abbott disagreed with that, the Texas State House has been debating a bill that would create a special unit for the border. Brian, what do you make of the political influence that Tucker Carlson had from his position at Fox News? This is something that has has really changed the Republican Party, and that's that conservative media is uniquely influential. You had the the email from the listener whose father uh, watched 12 hours a day. It has this huge influence with the very small percentage of Americans who show up to vote in Republican primaries. And as we've geographically polarized, had, you know, for the House of Representatives and other representative bodies gerrymandering, but also just sorted into red states and blue states where Republicans worry much more about primaries than they do about general elections. They are focused solely on what does that very small percentage of Americans who show up and vote in Republican primaries think. And that audience, that that voter base is uniquely influenced by the audience of conservative talk radio and Fox News. So these hosts even as they have money-making um, goals, and even as they're thinking about what is the best show today, not what do voters need to know to be good Democratic citizens, they have this unique impact on the voters who Republicans are most focused on and most afraid of. And that is is a big deal in terms of giving them 
outsized voice in Republican affairs and in what Republican politicians do. And it's pushed the entire Republican Party, not just towards the right, but towards seeing politics as warfare and doing things that would have been unimaginable even 10, 15 years ago. We also got this email from Patricia who says he turned the tables on the GOP. It was seen that you made it when you were invited to be on his program. Kevin McCarthy is a good example. Nicole, what do you make of Carlson's impact on the GOP? It's remarkable. And you see this maybe once every generation, a conservative media figure who is seen as the voice of voters and therefore somebody who has to be brought in, who has to be um, flattered, who has to be um, won over in order for a politician to succeed. And this is something that doesn't start with Tucker Carlson. It's something that we saw with Rush Limbaugh in the early 1990s. He had come out in support of Pat Buchanan during that uh, presidential election. And ended up having George H.W. Bush, who was president at the time, trying to win him over. So this is a, a story that goes back for a while. We'll be back with more of our discussion in just a moment. Stay with us. On It's Been a Minute, we're keeping you in the know when it comes to culture. I break down the latest trends and the forces behind them and introduce you to the creatives who think deeply about how we live today. Come for some good old cultural analysis and have a few laughs with me. Listen to the It's Been a Minute podcast from NPR. These days, news comes at you fast. But the truth? Getting there takes time. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Embedded is a podcast that takes the time to look beyond the headlines. How, how did this happen? How did we get here? With original documentary storytelling. Listen to NPR's Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln? Well, you know, it was 2020 and we were all so isolated. I, I just started doing research. On, but the truth is, I, no, I just thought of it. We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Let's get back to the conversation with this message from Pat. How does Carlson compare historically with media mouthpieces for earlier divisive moments in the USA? And Nicole, you you touched on this briefly, but as a historian, has there been a media figure that has influenced the actions of lawmakers in this way before? So Rush Limbaugh is probably the best example of someone who the entire party apparatus, the Republican Party apparatus, sort of bent around um, because they feared his influence over Republican voters. There are other right-wing media figures in U.S. history who have been powerful, people like um, Father Charles Coughlin, who um, had been a a big supporter of Franklin Roosevelt, but then took a pretty hard anti-Semitic turn, but also had hundreds of thousands of listeners at his height. Um, So we, we certainly have had divisive figures like Tucker Carlson before. We've had powerful figures like Tucker Carlson before, but I think that his place within the Republican movement during the Trump era as someone who spoke less for the Trump administration than for the Trump base made him, if not a unique figure, then an unusual one in American politics. Carlson's show generated more than $70 million in advertising revenue for Fox. But David, as you mentioned earlier, there were boycotts by some of his biggest advertisers like Disney and T-Mobile after his comments on immigration and, and misinformation. And that did cost the company. How did the show survive? Well, so there are two uh, main 
pillars on which Fox builds its wealth on Fox News, and they're extraordinarily robust. Uh, Fox, uh, you know, makes money from advertisers like you know CBS in the old days. Uh, pretty much any broadcaster would, but it also makes money from uh, cable and satellite subscription fees. Uh, so that if you subscribe, as I believe over 70 million, a million uh, American households still do to such a service, you're paying basically $2 a pop for Fox or more for Fox. Uh, Fox has been uh, reportedly trying to get that number to $3 per household in its negotiations with, you know, the individual cable providers around the country. And so that means before Fox sells a single advertisement, uh, it already has $140 million a month in revenue, which means that it's making billions of dollars without selling an ad. Most often, Fox's highest rated show in the last uh, recent years has been Tucker's. And so that means that, you know, the idea of Tucker walking off the set would be a detriment to people sticking around and being willing to pay for Fox as part of a cable package. So, you know, you want somebody who blue chip advertisers will pay top dollars to advertise with. And, and God knows, you know, that eight o'clock slot, you should be having those blue chip advertisers paying through the nose to advertise at that time because you'll know what your demographic is and you'll target it accordingly. Uh, but it's worth it or has been worth it for Fox until now, even with the bleeding of advertisers, particularly after uh, nine, uh, excuse me, after the January 6th attack um, and his stance on that to keep him around because it, it solidifies one of the two foundational things, not the advertising revenue, but the subscriber revenue. But this plays into the point, you know, I think that that briefly I want to touch on that that. Nicole and Brian were talking on a few minutes ago, which is, you know, he has this hold over viewers that leads to a hold over Republican lawmakers. If you think about his influence over the Republican Party, I think one of the best examples of recent years is the extent to which, you know, there were, you know, some dozens of House Republicans waiting to see how to react to the siege of the Capitol and how to think about, you know, for example, investigating it. Uh, by looking at Fox because they wanted to see what the backlash would be. Ted Cruz, a United States senator from Texas, you know, called the people who attacked the U.S. Capitol terrorists. And Tucker Carlson brought him to heel humiliatingly on his own show on which Cruz walked that characterization back, even though these were people who, you know, he's saying they were domestic terrorists. They were attacking the United States government, you know, a co-equal branch of government in the U.S. Congress seeking to do bodily harm in some cases um, Cruz gave that up and he gave it up because Tucker was more influential in the Republican electorate than him as a, a senior elected official. So Fox has that position for Tucker, despite the fact that, you know, by and large, the people advertising on it were the My Pillow guy and sort of direct to consumer uh, advertisers saying, hey, you know, call in 1-800-BITCOIN or call in 1-800-SUPPLEMENTS, uh, you know, in case uh, the world goes to hell in a handbasket, we'll have these vitamins to help you survive, those kinds of advertisers, uh, because, you know, major Fortune 50, Fortune 500 companies didn't want to be associated with that kind of rhetoric. We got this message from Bob in Raleigh who said, you don't use the same kind of narrative when talking about MSNBC. NPR is biased in its own way. You guys report the news mostly from one side of it, not always, but mostly. And another question from one of you says, is it fair to say MSNBC and some CNN hosts are similar on the other side of the spectrum? Jake Tapper and Rachel Maddow, for example, are often quite absurd in their commentary on current events. They might not outright lie, but their heavy spin can leave viewers with a skewed perspective. So I want to take this in sort of in, in two chunks, starting with the NPR 
piece of it. And David, you know this criticism isn't new. We, 1A, we invite Republican lawmakers and, and strategists on our show regularly, but we do make certain editorial decisions. For example, we don't give a platform to election deniers or climate deniers. How does NPR more broadly respond to the claims of left-wing bias? These are completely different operations with completely different imperatives. You know, even MSNBC is different uh, than than just simply being a mirror image of Fox, although I can talk about that separately. But NPR, you know, we we invite on voices to talk, but we don't have, you know, official conservative voices uh, as part of our roster. We don't have op-ed pages. We've really winnowed down the extent to which the shows uh, offer um, commentators on All Things Considered or, or Morning Edition just sort of straight up uh, a, a, as having a weekly bit. And I want to be clear here, as always, as NPR's media correspondent, I I cover NPR and I'm a reporter at NPR. They sign my checks for sure, but I don't speak for the institution. I tend to cover them for, for good and for ill. Um, but NPR has a mandate that it tries very hard to live up to, to cover the news uh, factually, fairly, uh, not down the middle in the sense of uh, an ideological center, but down the middle in the sense of being fair to the facts, being fair to the people being covered, being fair to the audience that they're doing this for, and being fair to the larger truth. And that is the idea of fairness that we hold on to, I think, quite quite uh, tenaciously. Uh, similarly, other main news organizations are doing that. They tend to have different kinds of characters, maybe different kinds of voices. MSNBC, to be sure, is has become a news organization of the left, and that's been a very successful business model. But it does not hold the same sway or the same fear among Democrats and the Democratic Party, in, you know, as an institution that Fox does on the right. They're very different operations. You know, the head of MSNBC is not an ideological figure in the way that Roger Ailes, its founding CEO and later chairman, was. Uh, nor is, you know, Brian Roberts, uh, who has certainly given money to Democrats, but he is not a key figure in the Democratic Party hierarchy in the way that Rupert Murdoch has been sort of this figure overseeing it for generations. So it's just a very different kind of organization. Nicola, I'd love your thoughts as well. David is right that there isn't the same kind of political influence or even the same kind of desire or habit among progressive voters to have this kind of explicitly progressive media. Now, it is something that I think has developed profitably over the last 10 or 15 years or so. Um, but something like MSNBC, it, it's hard to imagine a figure like Joe Scarborough, who headlines the morning show on MSNBC. He was a Republican member of Congress, pretty conservative. And yet, because he fits in well in that role, people like him. He has become more of a critic of Republicans in recent years, but it is very difficult to imagine a Democrat, a progressive Democrat, having that same kind of role on Fox News. So they're just very different operations that fit in very differently with both the coalitions they represent, but also that have just a distinctly different relationship to the parties that they are um, more have more of an affinity with. We got this email from Andy who says, I am left of center politically, but I have been listening to conservative media, especially conservative talk radio for more than 25 years. I've come to believe that conservative talk radio is even more influential than Fox News. The hosts are more extreme than hosts on Fox News, and the callers are usually more extreme than the hosts. Brian, the power of radio? I think that there is a synergy between the two. I think a lot of the messaging that is um, conveyed is very similar. I know a lot of the Fox hosts are listening to conservative talk radio during the day. You know, when Rush Limbaugh w was still on the air, 
I know that that everyone in conservative media listened to what he was saying on a given day because that was what was going to drive conversation for their shows. So I think that there's a lot of synergy between the two. I, you know, conservative talk radio came first, um, and, and in a lot of cases, especially with local hosts, there's less scrutiny on it, so that they can sometimes go further with things, and they're more tailored to communities and, and that kind of thing. But I think it's all kind of one um, mouthpiece, and the the big key when we compare it to MSNBC is that Fox News and conservative talk radio just have so much more influence. You, We've never really seen something where MSNBC gets upset about something and the Democrats come to heal. That just doesn't happen in the way that it does with conservative media. So that is just, there's just this huge influence gap that's there. Well, we'll have to leave the conversation there with this email from Bruce, who says, as I've been listening to your show, I was recalling growing up in the 1960s and watching Bill Buckley with Point Counterpoint. I remember incredibly interesting discussions that were almost always conducted with a deep sense of mutual respect, in spite of having differing political opinions. So very different now. We've been speaking to Nicole Hammer. She's an associate professor at Vanderbilt University and the author of Messengers of the Right, Conservative Media and the Transformation of American Politics. David Folkenflick was also with us. He's the media reporter at NPR. And Brian Rosenwald, author of Talk Radio's America, How an Industry Took Over a Political Party That Took Over the United States. He's also a researcher at the University of Pennsylvania. Brian, David, Nicole, thanks for joining us. Today's producer was Arfi Getty. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again tomorrow. This is 1A. Support for NPR and the following message come from Edward Jones. What is rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. Edward Jones Financial Advisors are people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Your business faces specific challenges and unique opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, custom-tailored to your short- and long-term goals. Backed by the expertise, strategy, and resources of a top-10 commercial bank, a dedicated team works with you to support your success and help achieve your goals. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial. Hey. I hear you have a birthday coming up. Yeah, you. If you're listening to this, that means you have a birthday coming up eventually. And here at Life Kit, we want it to be a special one. Magic can happen and good luck can happen and serendipity can happen if we're open to it. How to have a good birthday, even if you're not a birthday person. That's on the Life Kit podcast from NPR.